And now, another cup of... The London Fog. Welcome. Welcome, guys. London Fog is back. With our best episode ever. I know. I've been so excited about this episode since we discussed it last week. So if you're not listening to the podcast on the regular, we gave a pretty good spoiler about what this episode's going to be about. Which is everyone's favorite and or least favorite, most hated and most beloved, <laughs> Jane Austen. Jane Austen. We're doing a Jane well, actually, Austen episode. I, I feel like we should like clarify that because sometimes we do like author episodes that are like about their lives and whatever. That's not what this is. This no. is a ranking of our favorite Jane Austen novels. It's almost like Mortal Kombat. I'm going to disagree on everything. I would be surprised <laughs> if we didn't. Oh, 1000%. So we took her books, just her normal books. We'll get into just that later. Just fully published novels. Yes. Finished, uh, finished by her. <laughs> and uh, we almost did like a bracket system. We missed, we missed like March Madness because of COVID and all that stuff. So this is like our own kind of bracket figuring it out it's our own bachelor bracket <laughs> but with Jane Austen books so which is even better I well know. actually I don't know this new there's side note there's a new uh bachelor series called listen to your heart where they know oh, <laughs> they, they have to fall in love but also they have to perform songs together stop shut the front door this is not true (laughs) yeah no I really think that you you should watch it (laughs) oh no so especially because you're used to like acting singing you know like I don't know because they they were like judged on like their like singing together if they like were showing their love but like I'm sure you've had to sing and show love for people that you don't love. So, right. Um, right. So you just I was like, how are they like, judging this? Hamming it up. Oh, gross. Anyway, I don't know. It's like when it was the, <laughs> what was it? The Grammys and A Star is Born just came out and everybody really felt Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper were in love because they could just, well, act well like they were in love. It was like, no, they're just like that's why they're winning awards for this is because they're good at acting, <laughs> right? Let's not get it misconstrued here. Anyway, side note that was just a side note, little side bracket. Oh, you it's know funny. what? Uh, before we get started, actually, you know, today, the day that we're recording, so this will be a few days before this episode is released, it is Princess Charlotte's birthday. <laughs> it is, she's Gross, a little cutest, five years old, five year old. Um, her dress that she wears in the recently released pictures is from Zara, which I just want to say that I did buy my daughter some clothes from Zara, so she Shut could possibly be wearing. Did you buy clothes. the? Did you buy the? No, uh, that's the dress from, like last season. So unfortunately, I didn't have a daughter yet, so I wasn't buying baby clothes. Oh. But I just feel like knowing that Princess Charlotte shops at Zara, or her, you know, Kate does for her. Um, means that there's a chance that she'll wear the same outfit 
as my daughter at some point. (laughs) Focusing on little princess Charlotte there was in the news on the BBC. I'm always looking for the feel good news during this very interesting time, but there are photos of her delivering homemade care packages to those in need on her birthday for the coronavirus. Okay. Not only are they homemade, like, um, the Cambridge's made homemade pasta, like the pasta noodles, homemade by the future queen consort, and they delivered it. I'm like, there's no way these people are actually going to cook that pasta and eat it, right? Like, I would treasure it forever and never right? get rid of pass it down to my children. Like, this pasta was when? made by the future king and his and family. Queen, right? <laughs> yes. Delivered homemade fresh pasta made by the Duchess and Duke of Cambridge. Amazing. And Although, I mean, like, realistically, do we think Will helped with it? Oh, come on. Let's just throw him into it. Let's give him a little... Maybe he's excellent in the kitchen. A lot of great chefs are both. Actually, actually, I do remember like an interview from when they first started dating that he used to cook for her because they were roommates. That's like how he got her. (laughs) I mean, at least the BBC is throwing him in it because it's saying the family spent several hours making fresh pasta before delivering it. So there is... The world's cutest pictures of her in these little, like, Mary Jane shoes, a pair of cute little, like, gray tights. We're going to post the picture. It's just too cute. And this little dress knocking on old people's doors on in Norfolk and delivering homemade pasta. Yeah. And her picture is Those the sassiest thing on the planet. Those people are so lucky. I'm so jealous of them. Why don't I live in that neighborhood? And why aren't I 80? <laughs> right? I just want to have pasta made by the king and queen. And you are so right. They have been definitely upping, I think, their like video content. There just seems to be a lot more, uh, I don't know, we're seeing a lot more of Will and Kate, which I really appreciate. Yeah, because they used to, like, when it was, like, George's first birthday or whatever, they would only post, like, one photo on the day and now they've been like with Louis's birthday recently and Charlotte's they like post a few photos the day before and then release another one on the day you know like they're like really and like doing stuff not just like a posed photo it's like here's this art project that he did here's her delivering pasta like real things yeah <laughs> and about once a week they come out with like a small little video of and it's usually like the the news saying you know how are you handling with like the stress of all of this and how are you handling lockdown and what are you guys doing and they always turn it and spin it into something really positive they're all like we've been spending a lot of time together but you know, the kids, if anything, the kids make more messes. We're washing more dishes. And I kind of go, are you really washing dishes? <laughs> but, um, you know, it's just been kind of cute and fun. And they did a, a video, uh, maybe one that we can post is one of them like calling workers, like um, health workers, children while they like mommy and daddy are, you know, supposedly at work, you know, and saying like, hi, and like kids being like, who are you? <laughs> Why are you calling me? Right? (laughs) But yeah, yeah, super cute. I guess that's that's our little feel-good tidbit. Yeah. And now back to Jane Austen because we like really built that up and then we went I know. Come on. We just needed our our usual little beginning getting started. But yes, we're talking all things 
Jane Austen in books. We're going to give a little overview into her life just because I think it helps understand the books a little bit better. Yeah, but if you haven't read any of the books, you might be confused. But if you watch the movies and you like kind of know what's happening, I feel like you'll it's true. Get and you know what? Just listen to what we say and then you'll know which book you want to start with if you haven't read mm, them. Very true. Because we've read them all. Okay. Confession. I actually haven't read Northanger Abbey. Are you kidding me? That's uh-huh. like one of my top ones. Well, we'll get there. That's why it's going to be my bottom. <laughs> I haven't read it. Anyway, we're, we're spoiling the episode. Crazy short. <laughs> We're getting there. We're getting there. Okay. Jane Austen was born December 16th of 1775. Oh, very, very near Frank Sinatra's birthday. Okay, continue. Except for the year. <laughs> I was about to say, I'm like, <laughs> Frank Sinatra was super old. Um, she was the youngest of seven children. Uh, just a little bit of backstory about her family. Her father, they grew up in Steventon, Hampshire. Her father was kind of part of like clergy. He worked as a rector and had met her mother going uh, to church within a fellowship in Oxford. They get married. They don't have very much money. And uh, it's said though by 1763, her his name is George. Her uh, Jane's mother's name was Cassandra, and they exchange miniatures around 1763. <laughs> so it was. It's probably thought that they got engaged right around then. So are you and your boyfriend going to exchange miniatures before you seal the deal? <laughs> I think. I think we all should exchange <laughs> miniatures. <laughs> Um, I think now we exchanged selfies or we swiped left or right. But so, I mean, this is just early 18th century. They both swiped right. Right. Um, so George received his living, uh, to become, to work in a parish from a second cousin and they moved into a small cottage home uh, near the parish at that time. They began to have kids, and what I thought was really interesting, because I had no idea that, number one, she was the youngest of seven. I, th- I knew she had other brothers and sisters, but I didn't realize it was that big. Um, the first three, James, George, and Edward, were, um, while well, Cassandra was, of course, kind of young, and so instead of really, you know, like, mothering, she had... Uh, would remove the infants from home for several months and place them within Elizabeth Littlewood, a woman living uh, nearby to nurse them and to raise them for mm, 12 to 18 months. Could you imagine? (laughs) It's like taking Mara and be like, I'll see you when you do. (laughs) Bye. I can kind of see why they do that. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So she's all like, I'll get them back, give them back when they're potty trained. Um, so they were they were a bit older. The oldest, James, was born in 1765, and obviously Jane was born 10 years later. So they're kind of spread out. And so um, and then after that, there's uh four other children. There was Henry, there's Cassandra, Francis, and Jane. Um 
it's known that George uh, was, um, how do you say, he was, <laughs> I, well, I, I don't know, like, the political wreck. <laughs> like, he was mentally handicapped? Is there a better way? I'm trying to think of the PC term, but there it is. He was mentally handicapped. He definitely had some uh, communication issues. And so what did George and Cassandra do? What everybody did at this time, and they just got rid of him. They fostered him out, and we know nothing about him anymore. Uh, right? Dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was, they said, you know, they waited until he was like about five or six, and it was clear that this wasn't just something of adolescence. So they uh, they fostered him out and never Wait, to. They waited until he was five or six. I could see if it, it was mm-hmm. like. At birth, no. she's already getting rid of her kids at birth. No, it but. said at, at about this time, so 1771, and George was born in 66. So, I mean, he's five. Yeah. Wow. So he's five, and it says Cassandra can no longer ignore signs that George was, oh, they say developmentally disabled. He was subject to seizures. He may have been deaf or mute. The record can't really clarify between the two. He's one of those. And she chose to send him out to be fostered, which they never kept contact again. Wow. Yeah. So um, very interesting, very different. Uh, But as the kids grew up, it became quite apparent that Jane and Cassandra... Uh, which is like her older sister by just two years became exceptionally close and their bond was really close. Also her bond with one of the um, older boys with Henry was really close. And uh, she left to become educated with her sister out of town with Cassandra. uh, But they ended up coming back after they both got typhus after just a couple of months being gone and so she was educated at a closer proximity just with within somebody's home. Mm-hmm. Uh, her father, it said that he made an annual income of 200 pounds from his living, from his two livings. They considered him being a rector and also tutoring uh, to give him his annual amount, which after watching all these movies and reading these books, you always hear like, Oh, he makes 10,000 a year. You know, you you look at like 200 and you go, Oh my gosh, like that's harsh. It said that this was a very modest income by comparison, a skilled worker, like a blacksmith or a carpenter would make about a hundred pounds annually while to be considered like a gentry family, somebody gentleman status would be somewhere between a thousand to five thousand pounds a year. Mm. Where I think it is in Pride and Prejudice, where Mr. Darcy is supposedly to make fifteen per annum. So I think that yeah. that's just kind of interesting to put things in perspective. Like this is kind of a poor family. Poor family. Seven kids, one of them disabled, gets shipped off. She gets kind of a very basic education and has kind of a stint of falling in love with the boy next door. 
and doesn't really go much of anywhere. Uh, both families said it wasn't really worth it because neither one of them had money and they both end up impoverished. But Tom <laughs> left Roy and so both families kind of part them. Uh, other than that, though, she kind of grows into the woman that these books slowly start to become all these characters are based off of a lot of people and kind of her experiences and view of the world. But I think it's kind of cool to look at her, her place and her projection onto you, the and things that she wrote. Clearly wish she found someone with 10, 15,000. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> she probably is sharing a room, maybe, you know, I don't know, not having to <laughs> ship off your brother. That one just like startled me. I was like, what? <laughs> but um, she started writing as early as 11 years old. We have a lot of just poems and short stories. And she starts to publish her books. Uh, do you know the order of those? Yeah. So the first book, well, so it's like a little bit different because the first book she sold was Northanger Abbey, but that mm-hmm. actually was not published. Like some, like a publisher bought it and they didn't publish it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so the first one that was actually published was Sense and Sensibility in 1811, um, followed by Pride and Prejudice in 1813, Mansfield Park in 1814, um, by then she was getting pretty popular. So Emma was published in 1815 and that's why Emma was dedicated to the prince because mm. he, he was a big fan by that point. Then, um, Persuasion and Northanger Abbey, they had been completed and purchased by a publisher. But like I said, like Northanger Abbey was the first one purchased, but just never published. And so they were both published after her death, but they were like fully written by her and like had already, yeah. you know, been done by a publisher. And then those are like her six actual novels. So there's like a few novels that she didn't complete that people then published later and completed themselves. And like you said, like some short stories and whatever that she never meant to publish that she wrote when she was a kid. So we're like not counting those because I feel like if, if it's the love story she wrote when she was 14 and she never tried to get it published. I actually think it's pretty cruel of anyone to publish it later, right? It's like, true. do you want your, like, 14-year-old, like, love poems published? I don't think anyone does. Right. Well, I completely agree with that. But I also – have you tried to read any of the books that, like, somebody else came around the back end and tried to finish off? Yeah, I, I think that's all. almost a bigger slap in the face because you're all like, oh – so one of them, so there's actually like a few finished by different people, but um, Sanditon is like one, it was like the most completed mm-hmm. of her unfinished. And then it, when it was completed, it was her, I'm not trying to remember, her great niece or her great nephew, like one of Cassandra's like descendants finished it. So I feel like more people like believe in that one because it was like finished by a family member but I still am like no (laughs) yeah I mean like that's why I'm always so afraid that Diana's gonna die before she finishes publishing all the Outlander books like if she has a half-finished Outlander book who's gonna finish it I don't want someone else finishing that no it's true how many she's got like two more to go 
Right? I know. Two more to Ooh. go. And she's been slacking because she's working on the TV show. Anyway, sorry. Side note. But <laughs> Side note. <laughs> okay. Back to Jane Austen novels. Back uh, to Jane. So, yeah. So, those are the publication dates. Um, did you have more to say about her life or did we want to kind of get into it? No, I figured then... we could get into it from there. I mean, obviously, she passes away. She wasn't very old. She was 41 years old when she passed. And... Um, but we have all this literature from her, and I think why why she's just stuck with is because at this time she was kind of two things. One is literary realism had kind of fallen away as a genre. A lot of people were getting more into the gothic side. You kind of look at like Bronte sisters. You look at Mary Shelley as like some of our female counterparts right now writing. And so why I think a lot of her literature has survived maybe a little bit more than others is because of the realism from a woman's view and that she didn't feel the need to write under like a pen name. Um, Well, she published anonymously. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but she, at least she didn't like, I don't know. At least she didn't make it as a man. I think it was quite evident. I I think you have to read it as, and say, this is definitely written by a woman. Um, where I feel sometimes with like somebody like George Eliot, you know, yeah, you can almost hear the pen tones, but you almost hear in the writing, like, is this somebody trying to be male writing from a woman's view? You know, so yeah. um, they're great books. I love them. Obviously, we are now Northanger Abbey. Abbey's in Northanger Abbey. Um, <laughs> so angry right now. <laughs> so uh, we're going okay. So to- this is what I think we should do. Okay. Okay. This is how I think we should do it. I think we should start, each start with our least favorite and then like move up to our favorite. Okay. I like it. Okay. So let's hear about your least favorite since you didn't read it. <laughs> I said no, Northanger Abbey because I don't know it. Okay. Um, I guess there's nothing to say about it. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. I just thought I, it's the one I haven't read and I was like, I was going through and I was reading, you know, all the books saw them and I was like oh of course Northanger Abbey wait and I was and then I started and I read a synopsis of it I went I have not read this book <laughs> none of this is ringing any bells okay um well I ranked it pretty high so I guess I'll just talk about it when we get there yeah um, yeah my my least favorite is Sense and Sensibility <sighs> so a lot of people think it's their favorite <laughs> defend <laughs> I think it's super boring. I have no attraction to Colonel Brandon or Edward. Like, I just feel like they're not romantic. They're pretty lame. I do think that there's, like, a good story with Marianne and Eleanor. Like, it's, like, Mm -hmm. the good sisterly, like, relationship that I think she, like, kind of tried to allude to in Pride and Prejudice between Elizabeth and Jane. But, like it didn't really happen there, but like it happened in sense and sensibility. Like, you know, it's, but I mean, I feel like it's like kind of tries to be funny, but it's not really as funny as some of her other books. It's like kind of tries to be moving. It's not as moving as like persuasion. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like it's like kind of a practice book for her. Like it was her first one that was actually published. Right. And she was young, you know? Yeah. And so I feel like it was kind of like, she was like developing all the skills 
that she then had in her other books, you know, like it's like a little bit witty, but not that witty, which she like develops later in a different book. Or it's like a little bit romantic, but not that romantic. Mostly, okay, you know what I think though really ruined it for me, which you'll have to tell me if you agree with this or not. We've all seen the film. We've all seen the film with Kate Winslet, right? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think that a hard, hard time I have with the book is that it's like after watching it, the film, it's like, I'm sorry, Alan Rickman was like 50 years old. Kate Winslet was like 20. I cannot see them romantically together. And like, it's like, it's like bled into the book for me. All right. All right. That's fine. That's fine. Obviously, we both have different views. This one isn't like my highest ranked, but it's it's up there for me. And I'll okay, just defend you, it when you we rank get it? there. Okay, it's, you can defend yeah, it. Well, I'll just defend it when we get there. Okay. But that's I, I like those point of views. And I mean, don't get me wrong. It definitely makes me see some of it. And it is out of all of her writing style, because I think it is obviously one of her earliest ones written. Um, it is very youthful and sometimes you're all like, well, that fell a bit more flat. There doesn't seem to be as big of a drama, you know? Um, yeah, but I really think for me, mostly it was just like, I didn't really care for either of the romantic heroes. So, mm-hmm. and I don't have a sister, so I don't care about sisterly bonds that much. <laughs> so Frozen fell flat for Leah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Okay. Um, Number five. Sweet. Okay. What's yours? I went first last time. (laughs) Mansfield Park. Oh, okay. What's your number five? I put Emma. Okay. Yeah. So those were kind of hard for me to go because Emma's my next one. But Mansfield Park then is my next one. So I feel like we're very similar in this. Yeah. So we can like talk about them together a little bit. Yeah. So I think Mansfield Park, I ranked lower than Emma because I, I mean, it's just like, Fanny Price is like a little too virtuous and boring. <laughs> like it's like this is definitely the most serious Austin novel. It is. I I see, and I have a little bit more of appreciation for it because she did. I feel like out of all of them, this is a little bit of a stretch outside of her. Yeah, usual. and she it's a little bit more gothic. She definitely was writing with the times a little bit, but she didn't completely lose her identity. She didn't. You know, she wasn't you know, Mumford and Sons, who starts out as, you know, folk bluegrass, and then all of a sudden becomes an alternative band. <laughs> she, <laughs> she gets her roots, but there are kind of some like essence of, of the other styles going on. So yeah. Like and this that. is definitely the most like psychologically complex. I mean, mm-hmm. there's like abuse and love and like, and race and, like, and slavery yeah. and just a lot of, a lot of stuff. I mean, I when I was like doing some research about like, oh, that reminds me. I was gonna say so like I was like reading something about like what the general public modern now consider like just based off of like sales or whatever. What are the most popular? Mm-hmm. Um, this was not the least, but most people. Oh, interesting. The, the popularity rank is Pride and Prejudice number one, Sense and Sensibility two. Emma three, Ooh. Persuasion four, Northanger Abbey five, Mansfield Park six. Hmm. Okay. Um, anyway, I meant to throw that out there beforehand, but I can see why a lot of people don't like Mansfield Park now. Well, partially, I think it's because it's her longest novel. It's like quite long compared to all the other ones. It is. So I it really like is. People have read that. it. Yeah. 
it really is written kind of like Bronte style because those novels, like a Jane Eyre, you're kind of like, okay, we get it. You're wandering through the Glen again, having like (laughs) internal turmoil, you know, which Fanny has a lot of turmoil. Yeah. But this is actually the first Jane Austen novel I ever read. Oh, okay. Yeah, which I'm, which surprised, like, I'm surprised I kept reading them after this, actually, you know, because, like. <laughs> yeah, my first one was Persuasion, because it's not That's too long, one. and it's it was, yeah, it was yeah. good. Um, yeah. yeah, so, like, right after this, so just since we're, like, talking about both of them right now, mm-hmm. I'm, I did Emma, which was, like, hard for me, because it's, like, I think both of them, both of these characters, I don't love. Like, Fanny's a little too boring. Emma's, like, a little too annoying (laughs) he's really headstrong it does make sense I didn't know and great tidbit to know that this was you know at least written and dedicated to the prince it seems like because she's written from a little bit more of a humble standing with all of her other characters then you meet Emma and she's somebody that I don't know maybe it's because Jane Austen wasn't financially well off herself like, this is that, who she wishes she could be. <laughs> all, like, almost. Or this is her perception of other people, which my guess is it's got to be pretty accurate, you know? But maybe I just don't want to... I don't want to invest all this time or emotion. I do not care about this bratty woman, you know? So, Jane Austen, there's a quote that Jane Austen said about Emma, and she refers to her as a heroine whom no one but myself will much like. So Jane (laughs) enjoyed her. Like when she was writing her, she enjoyed her. (laughs) Hmm. Um, But the reason that I ranked Emma a little higher than Mansfield Park is because I actually do like Mr. Knightley. Like, I don't know why he's putting up with Emma, but. (laughs) Yeah. And see, and I guess that's why it's a little lower to me. I kind of go like, maybe it's just because it's something in society I like despise. Why are sometimes like really great guys kind of just around the bitchy woman? And I kind of go like, what are you doing? (laughs) This doesn't make any sense. Something I read or somebody referred to Emma as like, like if she was around now that she'd be like your hate follow on Twitter where like, you Mm -hmm. just can't stop watching what she's doing. But like, Oh, that's true. That's a good point. I have watched the the new film. It is done very well. I watched oh, it this week in preparation. It. Uh, it's done really well, and it's I'm really sure it's better than Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow. That one was crappy. Now there's a the Kate Beckinsall one. That mm. one's pretty good. Um, but this one, it's it's well done. I think I still prefer maybe my old classic of of Kate, and I don't mm. know this actor's actress's name who plays her uh that's kind of nice to not have a famous actress so that like yeah you don't get stuck on that like I am with Alan Rickman in Sense of Sensibility mm-hmm. no it's very true like the the typecasting or what have you but uh they play her up younger and snottier I feel like uh with both the Gwyneth Paltrow and the Kate Beckinsale, like this is a young woman that that's trying to be more grown up and, you know, and just knows so much better. They don't even, I wasn't getting the sense that they tried that so far. They wanted her to be just a little bit more ignorant and just a little bit more bratty stupid, which is how mm-hmm. I always read the book. 
And maybe if yeah. I could put it more in the way that the other two films are, that she's, you know, you know, 15 going on 50 kind of a thing, um, I would have yeah. more respect for it. But the fact that she's just this snot, it's just hard for me to read. I have a hard time when I do not like my, my you know, protagonist. So Yeah, I guess I, I never read it as her being like, like so snotty like I read it as like she's just spoiled so she thinks she's always right about everything right but she has good intentions (laughs) right she definitely like it's it's and I think the overcasting theme of all of this is there's a whole lot of nothing going on like there is now in COVID hence why we're talking about this not a lot of options to do you're stuck in your home and this and that and so you make the drama come to you you create it mm-hmm. and you you have these infatuations and we all have fallen you know in high school didn't you ever have like a crush on the guy that w- would never be cute but because he was just in fourth period he was the cutest guy in fourth period or something you know like mm-hmm. these are women falling in love with you know quote, falling in love with men just because they're bored, you know, and nothing else is coming around and you're sewing that because there's nothing else to do, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, I think that that's just kind of the, the common theme. And especially in Emma, it's probably a rich girl just because you have more money. doesn't mean that you also, I mean, you sure you got to ride your horse. So you have that option. You might have a couple more options, but you don't have really, entertainment to be had so you make a problem and Emma does it so well that I don't know why it just always bothers me it's one that I've read once and I'll watch like a I'll watch the film and I I always try to be like impressed by it but I have never read it more than once I've read it the one time really I feel Mm -hmm. like you know what I think though I think you should read it again just because my so I've read all of Jane Austen's novel I would say all of them at least five times probably. Well, I feel like I need to go back um, and read. Well, I need to read Northanger Abbey. Yeah. <laughs> the but other I ones need- I've read multiple times, but not. not yeah, enough. but I just feel like all of them, depending on what age you are, you'll like them more or less, you know? So I feel like you need to like read it again if it's been like 10 years. Like if you read it in college or whatever, like, you know. I looked uh, over my shoulder. I'm looking at my bookshelf, and there it is, Northanger Abbey. I even have a copy. You own it, and you haven't read. Okay, well then let's. I think it was number three <laughs> because my number three is Northanger Abbey. Oh, so I can talk about it right now, unless you want to talk Perfect. about it. What's your number three? My number three is Sense and Sensibility. Okay, so do you want to defend Sense and Sensibility first, or have me talk about Northanger Abbey first? I think. Well, you should get me up to date with Northanger Abbey. Tell me. Tell me the premise. <laughs> Okay, so Northanger Abbey, like I said, was her first novel that was completed for publication. Um, so she was the youngest when she wrote it. It just wasn't actually published at that time. Okay. So it's a satire of the Gothic novel. Um, and I think that the, – so the main character is Catherine. I feel like she's, like, the most like Jane at that age. Um, so, so this is also like her least edited novel because it was like completed for publication, sold to a publisher and then never published. So they published it right after her death. So there was okay. none of the like regular back and forth with an editor. That, I wonder like, why they novels. never 
published it while she was living. I don't know. I know. It's weird. You'd think that they would, but... Um... I mean, I think that would have been just like liquid gold for anybody, If the, especially she seems to get pretty popular. And I mean, Emma came out in 1815, and we still have, you know, a couple more years of publication. You almost kind of go... Nothing came out in 1816. You know, you want to keep relevant. I wonder why the publisher was all like, oh, I'll just keep hold of this, you know, for another year. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. But so it's basically it's a story of a young girl, 17 year old, who is like one of 10 kids of a country clergyman. So that's like Jane at the time she wrote it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So like the whole thing is like she goes to bath it with her friends and like she meets this guy she's into him uh she gets invited to his home Northanger Abbey um so she's like so the thing that's fun about this novel is that basically the main character Catherine is like obsessed with gothic novels and she's like any teenager who's obsessed with books like she just like sees it everywhere she's just like very like she just assumes that Northanger Abbey is going to be this like horrible gothic thing like anytime she sees any sort of issue she's like thinks that like something is mysterious or she thinks that like you know what I mean just like so it's an, like oh, her twilight <laughs> it's like it's like as well no because it's like it's just like anyone who like really is into reading books with an overactive imagination which I feel like yeah. is what Jane was at 17 um and then The other thing that I think is, like, interesting about it is I feel like Henry Tilney is, he's the, like, male love interest lead. He's, like, the only male love interest in any of her books who is not, like, a brooding, rich male lead. Like, he's, like, he like makes fun of Catherine. He's like, like really playful and witty. He's like, not like this, like brooding guy that Jane obviously gets into in her later novels. Um, so yeah, so it's like pretty fun read because it's, um, just like making fun of Gothic novels and like, it's just, you know, the perfect setting winter in Bath and there's like a villain and, um, I don't know. It's just like, the characters are constantly mocking each other. I don't know. It's pretty funny. Um, so yeah, so that was my number three. Okay. Well, you sold me. I need to read it. Um, sense and sensibility to me is my third because number one, I really, I do enjoy it. It is a little weak in spots and I do see that, but some of the big principles, number one, that she wrote this, I think she's 17, 18, when she like starts to write this and it gets published by the time she's like 19. And I think it's such a great work. I, I, I like kind of the, the men in it. Okay. Edward to me really is not my favorite and how he ends up being Eleanor's love interest makes me almost kind of sad. (laughs) Um, She could do so much better. (laughs) I like Colonel Brandon. Number one, yes, the film has Alan Rickman, and it makes me almost happy that Alan Rickman finally gets kind of a good guy part. (laughs) That helps. But it's just, like, so unbelievable. (laughs) But the fact that – and I think that their age gap is pretty appropriate because that's how it was a lot of the time – he had fallen in love with a girl of Marianne's age earlier. 
and his family had sent her away. And so he almost gets this second chance at love. But I think it's really the relationship between Marianne and Willoughby that kind of seals it for me. Because that's, it really is true love. It's true love, but with the elements around and that she invests her emotions into a weak man who goes, I love you, but I love the world more, I think is such a great principle almost to learn that yeah. it's got to be hand in hand. Because, I mean, he's there. He he, And it's true. Willoughby loves Marianne. But the fact is, is because of his desire to stay in a station. And I mean, it kind of almost reflects into Jane's own life now that I've done that research. You know, yeah. she meets uh, Lefoy, James Lefoy, I think his first name is James. That's the the boy that moved next door. They only knew each other for a couple of months, and but both of both families went. You have bo- neither one of you have any money, so how are you going to survive? So it's got to end. And and both of them went. Yeah, it's true. And so I almost feel like Willoughby looks at it and goes, "If if we get married, we'll have nothing. And I can't do that to me because I I want to have something, but I also can't do that to you." And that he still shows up down to the wedding day. You know, in the book, it says that he's like seen from afar. And I think that's also in the film, right? That he's like watching. Um, And so that relationship I love. And I really love the Eleanor and Marianne relationship, as you had mentioned. I mean, it's a great sister bond. And I do have sisters. So I kind of understand and I see that. I love the way that they play with each other. The fact that uh, Eleanor has really kind of this more somber has to pull it all together because her mom is, have you noticed in Austin books, like the women, the, the moms, moms are always uh, nutty yeah. and sucky. <laughs> I mean, Jane's mom like gave away her kids and exactly. stuff. So I could so would be like, that's where I'm seeing it from, you know, after, you know, just like this little bit of tidbits of like history, the fact that her mom didn't even raise the kids at the very beginning, <laughs> would give them away and then give them back. And then let alone your five-year-old has, you know, issues and seizures and then kind of goes, I don't know what to do with that. So I'm just going to get rid of them. Like that's her view of motherhood. So we have an Eleanor that's really strong and internal. And I can see that within some of my sisters, like they don't open up the same way that I do. I'm very artistic and external. So a Marianne kind of fits more of me and she's over the top. Everything is a drama and romantic and she plays the glad piano. Glad you realize that sings. about yourself. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and, but then we just kind of their relationship of the two but I love, I love the Willoughby piece of it. And so when Colonel Brandon comes around, I feel like there's almost a little bit of a maturing of Marianne to say, yeah, maybe he's older. Maybe he's not the flashy, I'm going to, you know, ride you through a horse and pick you these beautiful flowers. And, you know, but he sees the things that are special to her, like buying her a piano forte because the music is for, for her soul, but also for her families. And like, I, I love his maturity because she comes to see like, at least I'm not saying she like loves him. I don't think she'll, she would ever love him the way that she would love Willoughby. But the fact is, is there's difference between like a romance love to like, this is a solid, solid, realistic 
love, somebody that's going to support you and take care of you and, and, and treat you equally. And so that's why I think sense of sensibility to me, it's not like my absolute favorite, but it's not one I despise, but, but you are right. Yeah. There's a decent amount of like just weaker writing in it. And like I said, and and that just leaves completely out Edward. I don't know why Owen or likes Edward. I hate Edward. I, yeah, I, that really ruins it for me. He's kind of a boring character. Uh, just to find out that he was engaged the entire time. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. He's all like, I'll keep my promises to whatever. I think her name is Fanny in the book too. Um, to you know, my fiance that we've been secretly engaged for five years, but, um, or six years, whatever it is. Um, and, but at the first moment, you know, she breaks her promise cause she falls in love with his brother after he gets all the money and all the turning. Oh, yeah. I don't know why Eleanor, I kind of go like, girl, you could do so much better. <laughs> But this is Jane Austen times where probably Eleanor is like, what, 23 and probably thinks she's already an old maid. Yeah, she definitely is. <laughs> and so, and, and also like, you can't really do better. Like realistically in that time, it's like if somebody lives like 50 miles away, that's really far. Like, who are you meeting? You know? <laughs> it's true. All right. What is your number two? Number two, Pride and Prejudice. Okay, I did persuasion. Okay, so we can talk about them both together, though. Okay, I mean, yeah, because now that we're together, is like number two because it's like obviously it's got to be the top. I feel like it's definitely like her most charming book. Yeah, like everybody really loves it because it's just I I think it has the best like maybe not necessarily the best main characters. I mean, I do love Elizabeth Bennet and I love mm-hmm. Mr. Darcy or whatever, but I think it has the best side characters. Like Mr. Yeah. Collins is so ridiculous and Charlotte Lydia is so ridiculous. <laughs> and like, you know, there's just like a lot of like side characters that like really add to the story that are like, right. Well, and well I think that's why characters. I put it as my number one and it, really those two are so neck and neck. I think the, true core hero and heroine of, of persuasion are stronger, but the fact that you have so much more colorful elements, like there is no point in turning the page of Pride and Prejudice that I get bored. There's so many great little side stories and nuances down to, you know, people's mothers and the the dowager duchess or whatever her name is that Mr. Collins like lives at her estate and it's a parish guy. I know like all the side characters are just really charming. (laughs) Very fun. There's a lot of great just spins on all of these different topics or highlights that have been going on during this period. I mean, we have everything from a Charlotte who is, she's, she's nearing 30, which during this time, I mean, is, is over for her, you know, like so far gone that she sees the nutty and crazy Mr. Collins. And she goes, "I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it because it's way better on me and my family. If I'm, if I'm out of the way, you know, yeah, I love that aspect. I love the younger sisters. 
I think that they offer three very different characters that we don't really get in some of the other books that kind of add the balance to these two stronger sisters. Um, Yeah, it's just a goodie. Yeah. So the reason that I ranked Persuasion higher, I think actually had to do with like researching her life more because so Persuasion is like the last novel that she writes. Mm -hmm. She already knew that she was dying. Mm. So it's like, I don't know. It's kind of like, like her, her main character. Yeah. And like her main character in Persuasion is like an older woman, um, you know, 27. So I know. so (laughs) It's like, and she's like, fixing a mistake that she made when she was younger which I feel like Jane is like old and I'm Mm -hmm. not she's not old but you know she's like no she's dying and so like writing a book about someone who like fixed the mistake of like their love when they were young I feel like it's just so much about her like she wishes that she could you know um and then I feel like Captain Wentworth I mean realistically he's a little too cheesy for me I'm not cheesy but just like I don't know. He's like too in touch with his feelings, but I think that like with his love love letters and stuff. But I do think that's a little better than Mr. Darcy, who has like no feel, you know, not in touch with his feelings at all. Um, Right. Which I think is really funny because I feel like I have definitely not saying I've dated a Mr. Darcy. That would be amazing. Like the good side of Mr. (laughs) Darcy, I have definitely dated the like the money. Right. The shitty side of Mr. Darcy. Um, you know, and so it's it is interesting seeing like both of those characters, how they are so different, the both of those male counterparts. Yeah. I love Captain Wentworth. Oh, so good. Yeah. And I feel like I don't know, I think it's like very like all of her other books, I mean, and not necessarily Pride and Prejudice. So yeah, that's why it's like hard to rank those two. But like a lot of her other books, it's like like Emma's like trying really hard to be witty and Northanger Abbey is trying really hard to be funny. And like, you know, like everything, all the other books are like a little bit heavy on like what she's trying to do with the book. But I think like persuasion is a good mix of like, it's a little bit funny. It's a little bit witty. It's a little bit of love. It's a little, you know, it's like pretty subtle. Mm -hmm. Like you can tell that it's like after she's like more mature and she's like, this is the last novel she's writing, you know? Right. And I, I love the way that she writes, writes her characters. They, they're a little bit, they know themselves more because they are more mature because Jane knows herself more at this point where all of the other ones, I feel like because the characters are also, also young, they're not really, uh, in sync with what's going on in reality. But I think, and Anne Elliot and a Captain Wentworth, they've been out in the world. They've seen it, you know. So we get a little bit more of this kind of real aching feeling. I feel like this just constant yeah. bit of ache that, from yeah. Anne throughout like it. Else. Which makes you just cheer for them at, at the end of it. Yeah. Like I feel like everyone else kind of falls in love with the first person that they have a chance to fall in love with. <laughs> You know, right. like, even, even like Elizabeth and Darcy, like, yeah, Mr. Collins loved her, but whatever. But it's like, even though they have like their issues, it's like kind of the first time for both of them still. Whereas, so like, and their issues weren't that long. It was like a few months of having an issue. Whereas like Anne and Captain Wentworth, it's like 
years, you know, I don't know. It just seems so much worse. (laughs) Well, and I also love this one because dare I say, I feel like out of all of them, like I said, these were so, I couldn't, I felt it would be cheating to say like they tied for first between Pride and Prejudice and Persuasion, but um, there's not a great uh, like film adaption for Persuasion. I feel like it really is this kind of hidden gem of hers. I feel like the last one, do you know of any good movies that Um, Persuasion has been made? Well, have you watched the 1995 um, with like Claire and Hines or whatever his name is. Uh, yeah. He plays a lot of bad guys in movies. Another Alan Rickman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think that I one have seen that is one. like, that one's the best mm-hmm. of them. There's definitely, I don't know. Cause there's like the one from 2007, which I don't even know who's in it. Let me look at that one. There's like, yeah, 2007. Are you doing a good Google search? Yeah. Well, I knew there was a 2000. I'm trying to like see who's <laughs> in it. I don't even know who these people are. Anyway, it was like another BBC one. But that one, I feel like was not great. So I don't know. If you're going to watch a movie, the 90, 1995 one is better. None yeah. of them are great. <laughs> but I think that that makes it almost kind of special because now, I mean, Pride and Prejudice has been made everything from, you know, Bollywood movies to, you know, classic adaptions. So we have so many different ways to I look mean, at it. And Bridget Jones' Diary is a great. Exactly. Modern tellings. And I feel like we have all these different ways to look at that char- those characters because they are so fun and charming. But Persuasion is just... It's, it's so good. I mean, and I mean, the, the title just comes from the fact that she was persuaded by her family and by others not to marry him at the beginning, you know, but they yeah. get to grow in this, you know, okay. massive way. Side note, have you ever seen a movie version of Northanger Abbey? Because in my mm-hmm. Googling, I just found one also from 2007, ITV. Oh, I guess the other one was BBC. It's 2007 ITV. We have to watch this. I feel like it's going to be amazing. It has, um, (laughs) so Catherine, Catherine is played by Felicity Jones, um, who is, uh, now my, my mind is blank, but you know who she is. She's Mm -hmm. the girl from Rogue One. Yeah. Star Wars. Um, so Felicity Jones, her best friend is played by Carrie Mulligan, um, who I also really like. I don't know who this guy is that plays Henry, (laughs) but you know what? Like maybe that's good because we have so many issues with the other movies because of the famous guys that are playing characters. Um, Anyway, it seems like it, it says it had mostly positive reviews from television critics. Many praised the cast's performance. Um, yeah, like maybe we need to watch this. Oh, 1000%. I feel like I need to do a little catch up, especially I am shamefully embarrassed. I haven't seen Northanger Abbey. I haven't seen it. haven't read it. haven't nothing with Northanger Abbey. So, um, well, I'm going to say what you think, because like I said, I feel like all of Jane Austen's novels, how much you like them really depends on what age you are when you read them. Mm. And so like 
Northanger Abbey, when I first read it, I was quite young. And like I said, that's like her youngest character and her, you know, she was her youngest when she wrote it. So I'm wondering if like now at your point that you are in in life, like obviously you have mm-hmm. more connection with like Anne Elliot from Persuasion or whatever. And so right. I wonder if you would feel less connected to it if you're reading it now. Maybe. I don't know. No, that's very true. I mean, I feel I feel that and I feel like especially watching or reading like a sense and sensibility as an older adult and kind of now experiencing all of those different kinds of relationships. And I think mm-hmm. that's the big overlying thing of of Jane Austen. It's all about relationships and it is they're all love stories, but sometimes it is just the love between um family relationships. Sometimes it's the love that comes from letting people into your lives of all different, you know, shapes and sizes. And so we're just spreading the love with a little Jane Austen in our little bracket. So I think we'll definitely publish this. I think we'll put it up on the, um, on the Instagram for sure with our, our rankings and giving you guys some hinters of which way to go, but we should all be like reading a book during COVID yeah, so her or at least catching up on your, your your movies. <laughs> uh, all right, well, I guess that's all we have for today. So this was a winner episode. If you guys liked it, please email us. Let us know. That's London Fog Podcast at gmail dot com, and give us more more things. I like this. Maybe we need to do some more like battles. Mortal Kombat. I know. I was like thinking about it because I was like, oh yeah, who should we do that with? I'm like, Jane Austen is a little bit perfect for this because she didn't write that many novels Mm -hmm. and like we had already read them all. Like imagine if we tried to do this with Charles Dickens. That's like way too many books and nobody wants to read the Pickwick Papers. No, (laughs) no. And I was just thinking this last night as I was like prepping for this. I was like, if there's a character and I don't know why from Jane Austen I got there, but I was all like, if there's a character I hate more and you can fight me on this because everybody always does. Great expectations and Pip. I could drown Pip. I he's annoying, and maybe I just need to need to read it now at this stage in my life, as we have talked about. Ugh, I don't I know why. Trust me, bonkers. Pip is the best. Oh, <laughs> this is what everybody says, and I go like, why he's the worst? You watch, and now I'll reread it, and I'll be like, you're gonna be okay. like, okay. I feel such I, connection. <laughs> I know. Would like to rescind my prior statement. So, um, yeah, Jane Austen, definitely a big fan. And we're so glad that we got to share it with you guys. So send us more ideas. Yes, please do. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers.